Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories, brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and this week I'm joined by a News Wrap debutante, international editor John Elms. It's back to work time. Boris Johnson gives us the green light to head into work again, if we can't work from home, of course. But just what does this mean for the TV production sector as the likes of EastEnders and Top Gear resume? Plus, international guru John has been working on a special report about the LA screenings and the mid to long term impact of the pandemic on the US TV market. All that, plus what we've been watching on this week's broadcast news wrap. John, it's great to have you on the pod for the first time. How are you? I'm, I'm well, Max. It's an absolute pleasure to come onto the Broadcast News Wrap pod. I've been listening from afar and have been getting increasingly excited about coming on. So this is a, a momentous day. You've been loving it, John, and you've been giving us all the Twitter love. I think you guys have been doing a great job. I think we've been doing collectively a great job in, in only three podcasts. It's been enjoyable to listen to. Boom. How's your lockdown been? It's been okay. I'm benefiting from the fact that I'm locked down outside of London, surrounded by countryside. I think I would be tearing my hair out were I in, in, the, in the big smoke. Absolutely. Well, I think that moves us on to our first topic of the day, and that's the gradual restarting of, of TV production. I don't really think there's anything else that we could start on this week. Uh, and actually, in the past hour or so, we've just put up a story from a Daily Telegraph op-ed from Charlotte Moore. The BBC is beginning production again of EastEnders and Top Gear. You feel like there's a lot more to come probably over the next few days. I know that ITV are having a look at Corrie and creating some guidelines. Uh, Channel 4, ditto with Hollyoaks. So it almost feels like as, as quickly as everything wound down, we're starting to ramp up again. John, you were, you were listening in last week on an Edinburgh controller session with the heads of the major super indies. And this was the, the sort of key takeaway. So, so what were those guys saying? It looks like we are starting to ramp up. How quickly that's going to be is it remains to be seen. And I think the important thing to remember in this is, and all parties are saying this, it is completely dependent on safety protocols in place. It's a really positive step that productions are coming back into into being having been stymied by the the pandemic we have to cling on to positives as and when they come in the current circumstances but i think people will rightly be tentative about how and what goes back into production as you mentioned the the super indie representatives at the edinburgh tv festival controller session were very mindful to say that they are putting in place their own protocols to get um, productions back, but were making sure that they were, you know, strict and with safety in mind. And although they all said that they want production to come back and production needs to come back for the, the security of the industry in the long term, they were very, very mindful of the fact that they have to be done in a safe environment. And that is, I think, the paramount to them. Safety is absolutely paramount, isn't it? I was yeah. reading your piece and, and there, there seemed to be uh, more optimism than pessimism almost. James Burstall from Argonon talking about a first June restart for the, the majority of productions, which is now just two weeks away. But is that maybe a little bit unrealistic from James? It's, it's hard to say. So James made the point that when coronavirus seemed to be hitting the country hard, pre the announcement by the government to lock down the country, he had been putting in place measures across Argonon Group. So he felt that he was a couple of weeks ahead of, of other parts, perhaps, of the industry in, in, in putting in place measures. So 
I think naturally, as, as they've moved on, they've been able to put things in place ahead of schedule. I think he was very careful to point out that it's not gung-ho. We got some information post the event that certain, certain programming that has by its nature protocols that would fit COVID social distancing guidelines is, is quite important. So filming in remote locations, minimal crew, that kind of thing. And the cheaper or more affordable productions to put into place would come back. I don't see the wholesale return of big period dramas where they need 300 extras to do a ballroom scene coming back in. Although James did make the point that they are planning to put in place a quarantine drama. So a drama filmed in quarantine with safety protocols and they are drawing up those protocols. So it's not one genre coming back. I think there's intention for most genres to try and get productions back but again all with the caveat of safety in mind. I'm really keen to see how they go about filming EastEnders for example I mean surely above everything the two meter rule that that's the crux of it in terms of the difficulty uh, and I, I just think practically I, d I don't really know how they would go about that in, in certain realms there, there, there's also the the over 70s issue we're still yeah. within the 12 week period of over 70s basically having to self-isolate so that's a bunch of crew I mean in in uh, <laughs> I haven't watched EastEnders or, or Corrie for a little while but <laughs> Some of the characters are played by people over the age of 70. We're going to be having an interview with the Neighbours execs, possibly next week. It's going to be mm. uh, Desiree Ibaqua from Broadcast conducting that interview. One thing we were discussing is, is what you do with the storylines. Are the Neighbours execs and writers going to embrace coronavirus as something they can write about? Or will they continue to live in a fictional world where the pandemic doesn't exist? And I wonder what audiences would prefer. I think there's there are several key points to that. I mean, with regards to the distancing of, of soaps, I think that's a major one. Because if you think of soaps involving a lot of dialogue, they're heavy on dialogue, right? They're all about interpersonal relationships between mm. a, a community. So I think camera angles and camera shooting techniques are going to be paramount in, in trying to convey proximity whilst remaining two meters away. In terms of, uh, terms of storylines, it's, it's hard to say. I think Kirsty Swain mentioned it in, uh, in our colleague Jesse's feature where he interviewed her about storylines and writing about what people, what you know. I think coronavirus themes are going to have to come into, you know, the everyday dramas because it, it seems strange to completely detach oneself from the real world in that sense. But I agree. I don't think necessarily the audience are craving loads and loads of COVID-19 storylines we've written quite a few pieces broadcast about how we're looking for escapist content at the moment and and, and getting away from the sad and tragic current affairs <laughs> situations that are going ahead so writers and commissioners are shrewd people they make decisions on storylines daily yeah it's a fine line to tread we're focusing at the moment on on shows that have been ongoing for years when it comes to new programmes or, or new commissions, there are going to be other difficulties involved. Guidelines being drawn up, but the insurance issue returns once again and, and continues to rear its head, really. So the problem here, which is something that, that we at Broadcast highlighted a couple of months ago when we wrote about the coronavirus conundrum, which was a period of time where insurance companies stopped insuring productions for force majeure reasons because coronavirus mm. was just too much of an unknown at the time. And so that issue led to a bunch of difficulties for 
I imagine hundreds of productions and we're returning to that now really so Tracy Brabin, the, the Labour Shadow Culture Minister, wrote to, to the Chancellor last week and called for the government to become insurers of last resort. So essentially stepping in when an insurance company would refuse to insure a big production. There's something that PACT, the indie trade body, are, are leading on. I was speaking to John McVeigh last week. He was talking to me about the French fund that's just been put in place. This is a, a what's been called a temporary indemnity fund. A production can, can apply to it, basically. It's 50 million euros, I believe, maybe just over 50 million euros. And, and it's, it's like a funding pot almost. Until this insurance problem is sorted, that's probably as paramount as health and safety to really getting tv production up and running i think the point to make out is that, that these these the companies themselves particularly the super indies they're putting together these uh, health and safety protocols which are going to be really detailed i mean extremely detailed to every single nth degree to try and cover all the issues that an insurer might have problems with so the point is that by making them as holistic as possible and as comprehensive as possible that will hopefully encourage insurers to to insure productions going forward but you know we're in such unprecedented times what degree do you have to go to to write up a protocol list that satisfies everything that an insurer would want the important point that the super indies made was that a grown-up conversation had to be had with all parties as to who would foot that bill. I think that's the only way forward that we're going to be able to go to get to get productions off the ground. It's going to be immensely complicated, isn't it? And what I keep thinking when we're having these sorts of discussions is additional health and safety protocols, extra insurance costs, having to get more staff in in order to, to sort of police everybody and make sure they're abiding by social distancing. This all equals money. And what is it that the broadcasters don't really have at the moment? It's, it's very much money. We've talked at length on previous podcasts, especially about ITV and Channel 4's woes, for example. It is quite scary to think that budgets are lowering, but these shows are probably going to cost more to make due to these additional points that, that we're making. But as we all know, coronavirus isn't only impacting us over here in the UK. And the US has been hugely hit by COVID-19 as well. We don't really need to talk about Donald Trump's antics in particular. But John, you were supposed to be at the LA screenings this week. Yeah, no, uh, it didn't materialise. Obviously, safety, international travel, that kind of thing has put paid to pretty much the entire event in terms of what usually happens, the big buyer screenings on each of the main broadcasters' lots, the upfronts, which are supposed to be happening this week where advertisers go and see what shows are on offer so they can get the prime advertising spots on broadcast networks. Uh, the US has been incredibly hit. Some 130-odd shows affected, halted or delayed from, from production just in the US. And obviously that's not including international shows that US networks and US studios have a hand in so it really has been hit people from the distribution companies the big studios that have distribution arms connected they will probably have been you know in conversation with their clients quite frequently about what content is on offer how they're going to access that content but you but you're right i mean you know this is the single biggest content crisis in hollywood since the 2008-9 writer's strike which had actually reared its head a little bit before covid19 became a thing there was some stuff going on with that wasn't there and, and it's it's paled in comparison to what's happening now i don't think it's wrong to say that coronavirus has has superseded all issues that have been in the mix 
beforehand it's seriously affected the pilot season it's seriously affected what broadcasters are going to do for their autumn schedules they call them fall schedules in the US obviously and things are being changed yeah and so what's happening with the LA screenings instead how is that virtually running so to my knowledge the only company to have put up a, a kind of a, a virtual LA screenings is, is Sony I'm, I'm actually writing a piece about what the effect of a cancelled and non-apparent uh, LA screenings will have in the market. Sony are, are doing a virtual screening of some of their shows, and then that will be available for buyers. I think in you know presently, I don't think the portal for which buyers can access content is up yet. It's due to take place this month, but it's prepping a digital screening platform to allow buyers to access their content and will you know show some of the full-length episodes of their new shows. But they seem to be the the only company that have done an, an actual virtual event for the LA screenings. The the independent LA screenings are taking place virtually this week. That's independent studios and, and not the not the big network studios. Mm. So things are going on. And as I say, I'm sure that companies are constantly in contact with their clients and buyers about about what content is available, how content is available and what, what is on offer to acquire for networks around the world. And what are the conclusions of your piece at the moment? We've been talking a lot about the midterm, long-term knock-on effects over here in the UK, but I'm keen to know if there are similarities or key differences between what's happening across the pond? Well, I think you will see a clear impact of what coronavirus has done to to the industry just through the couple of announcements that some of the big networks have done for their full schedules. Fox and the CW, two broadcast networks in the, the US, have both announced acquisitions, a couple of acquisitions are going to be leading their full schedules now this was this was described by our colleague jesse as a watershed moment it really is because the whole point of the the pilot season that precedes the la screenings is that the networks will give pilot orders or straight to series orders for shows that they want to appear in autumn now coronavirus has stopped that and some of those shows from being produced so Fox has taken a show that was actually picked up last year, Filthy Rich, a Kim Cattrall drama, and is going to be broadcasting that in full schedule. And has also acquired another show, LA's Finest, which was in development at NBC, but then wasn't picked up last year. Essentially, Fox are going to have two shows leading its full schedule that were from last year, and one of which wasn't even a Fox original. It was an acquisition. Similarly, the CW has picked up the drama Swamp Thing, which was on Amazon in the UK. And that's another acquisition. You know, they're, they're synonymous with DC Comics. Quite a lot of Batman, Batgirl, Arrow, all those DC Universe superheroes. Those are the kind of shows that they've broadcast. They've, they've picked up and, you know, made an acquisition for their for their lead show. So it has, it has had a knock-on effect. And I think a point, I've spoken to a couple of distributors, big distributors in the UK, and, and some are anticipating potential pipeline problems in maybe three quarters of a year. I think they think that the halt of production, original productions that were going to go onto their distribution slate might have a knock-on effect almost a year down the line. You know, there might be a supply problem for their catalogs. Obviously, the industry has been recalibrating itself by looking back into their catalogs and supercharging some of their shows that already exist and, and the buyers are responding accordingly. Yeah, that's virtually unheard of, isn't it? I mm. was really surprised to hear the news about Fox and the CW. And I wonder if this will lead us down a path where the, the industry has changed for good in the sense that acquisitions and co-productions just become even more of an established thing with the larger broadcasters and, and the larger networks. Piers Wenger spoke a few weeks ago about how co-productions are going to become even more key 
because the travel ban will be the last thing that will be lifted and, and suddenly all large broadcasters and networks around the world are going to be looking for those places that can record and film the biggest dramas. The CW has acquired in the past, so it's not uncommon for them yeah. to acquire. But you're totally right. There have been numerous calls in the past for the pilot season to be scrapped. It's really expensive in the US. I think it's almost become part of the furniture of the international landscape, though. So I don't envisage the pilot season being scrapped because of coronavirus. Mm. But that said, you know, if these if these acquisitions for these broadcasters really, really take off and Fox sees amazing, amazing ratings for LA's finest, the CW sees amazing ratings for Swamp Thing, this, this could have an effect. Acquisitions are cheaper than original productions. And who knows, maybe, maybe the pilot season will be shortened. Broadcasters and networks will only have a maximum amount of shows they'll put in development and production. The count of the number of pilots that were in the mix before coronavirus you know, came down, and, and some had been ordered to series, others were still in pilot stage, but there's you know, 50, odd, 50 odd shows there. That's a lot of money outlaid already, and with production halting and the knock-on effects of costs, that's going to be a lot of, a lot of money spent. If then the acquisitions do well, I don't know, I could see a network chief going, well, let's have a mix here. Let's say, do the amount of uh, original program that we need to attract advertisers, of course, as original programming is always a big ticket for broadcasters. But can we mix it with acquisitions, save a bit of money in certain parts of the year to then reapportion elsewhere? I think it would be a sensible thing. The value of the original is going to go down a little bit, isn't it? Like people are just going to be desperate absolutely desperate for content and your average viewer sitting at home just cares less and less whether they believe or understand that Fox originated something. They just want to watch a good drama. We place a lot of assumptions on on the viewer, right? I mean, I think in the US, these broadcasters do make a big song and dance that these shows are, you know, Fox originals or NBC originals. And that's, and that's an important part, especially also for advertisers in upfronts. And the audiences tend to know what a show is i mean cbs they they've commissioned a lot of reboots in the past and they have a lot of returning shows that are synonymous with their brand and so people are quite used to and know what a cbs show is and that's quite an important point because these shows have had their productions halted that's quite a big problem for schedules down the line obviously we don't know what the schedulers are thinking not being able to produce your meat and drink shows ahead of when they're supposed to go out is, is going to be a big problem for networks. So yeah, it, w- it will be interesting to see what the value of an original is. We could see a, we could see a mixed economy. A shift in the landscape, John. One of those exactly. old landscape shifts. Thanks, John. I think you've given us a really good overview there of what's going on across the pond. And now we move on to our favourite part of the show, surely. It's what we've been watching. John Elms, you've been on Sky. <laughs> I have. I have been on Sky a lot and not just watching constant... Premier League years uh, in my craving for live sport. No, I've, I have been on Sky. I've been on Sky a lot just because I've had access to it at the place where I'm locked down, which is great. Been watching Gangs of London. I quite like a mob gang related style show. This one is particularly violent. I mean, uh, it's more violent than many that I've seen. Uh, it's made by Pulse Films in association with uh, Sister. So, you know, has really quite high-end TV credentials and it's a Sky original. Actually, I think I noticed today one of its uh, one of its most successful original drama launches. 
And it's been it's been insane. I mea culpa. I I've binged it on you know Sky on demand. But it, it's been an interesting show. It's got all the hallmarks of of a high end TV gangster production, gripping storyline, big fight scenes, quite kind of escapist stuff for me. You know, um, I've also been watching Code Four Hundred Four, another Sky production, a Sky comedy. I think it's true that we're all looking for escapist content. I've been watching a lot of comedies. Code Four Hundred Four was um, a particularly fun find. Because I, I'd seen it advertised and I was like, well, I might give this a chance. Let's see. And it's got, you know, Stephen Graham who's one of my favorite actors and Daniel Mays in it. And it's, it serves a really good purpose. It's completely, doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a, it's a cop buddy comedy made by Kudos and Water and Power Productions. And it's just been a lot of bit of fun. So yeah, I've been enjoying that. I've also not been watching normal people nudge, nudge, wink, wink, because I know we're not supposed to mention it on this podcast. So it's embargoed. Good to know, because yeah, I've definitely not been watching that show. <laughs> on Gangs of London, last week broadcast, Editor-in-Chief Chris Curtis told us that he's been running around his house pretending to be Uhtred from The Last Kingdom. But Big John, Elms, have you been running around the house pretending to be anybody from Gangs of London? Um, have I been doing that? No, because that would probably have me arrested for multiple bloody murders. I would like to think I'm like Elliot, one of the lead characters, but he is definitely more athletic than I am. He knows martial arts, which I definitely don't know. I see myself more as a kind of an armchair person. Maybe I could be leading a double life as the head of a London gang. This could be your calling, John Elms. It could be my calling. Who knows? In my thirst for live sport, I I went for Amazon's cricket documentary about the Australian test team, which Mm. you called me out on, John Elms. You said you don't want to lionise the side. I then Googled to find what lionise meant, and (laughs) then I understood what was going on. But I have to agree with you. I got to episode three, and suddenly Australia actually started playing quite well against the, uh, the Indian cricket team. I haven't watched any episodes since. Amazon is absolutely going all guns blazing on the sports documentaries. You cannot open your eyes without noticing another one on a billboard or on your TV screen. Yeah, they do them well. You know, uh, the test, which that's what it's called. It's called the, the test. test. Indeed, a new um, era you know, for Australia's cricket team. I mean, The Edge was brilliant. That was on Amazon. That was a very good documentary um, about the England cricket team. The test, even though I don't want to lionise the Australian cricket team for obvious, you know, partisan reasons as a cricket fan, it is a well-made documentary. And sports docs are great. You know, I've watched loads of them recently in our craving for live sport. You know, you do the next best thing. Absolutely. John Elms, you've been lionised. Thank you so much for appearing on the pod. Max, it's been the highlight of my week. I can't lie. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Broadcast News Wrap. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and I've been speaking with broadcast international editor John Elms. You can check out the podcast on Spotify and iTunes, or on our website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.